We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This is Tyrese Halliburton, and you're listening to Setting the Pace. going on everybody welcome back to another episode here of setting the pace i'm your host alex golden joining me today is michael ready for trade deadline weekend fachi fachi we already got a trade five minutes before we were about to record this on sunday afternoon hit me with those details man this is a solid appetizer for the for the main course we got Kyrie irving a man who i feared was going to hold up the trade deadline has been moved Kyrie Irving on his way to Dallas mm. for a 2029 unprotected first round pick, uh, a 2027 second round pick, a 2029 second round pick, uh, Dorian Finney-Smith and Spencer Dinwiddie. Markeith Morris will also go from Brooklyn to Dallas with Kyrie Irving. What's your thoughts on that package, Alex? Kyrie set to hit free agency, so you got to factor that in as it relates to this trade package. Are the Dallas Mavericks going to offer Kyrie Irving a four-year max deal that he wants? They very well might, though. We're talking about Cuban. This guy wants to win big time. Yeah. Well, and here's here's an interesting thing, okay? Jason Kidd and Kyrie Irving have a good relationship. And I think another thing to talk about here is just how well Kyrie played off of a guy like LeBron. And I think Luka Doncic has very similar tendencies as LeBron in terms of being the focal point of the offense and that kind of thing. But I think you realize when they lost Brunson, they really lost that extra ball handler. So you have Kyrie now, who is an all-star. He's a starter for the Eastern Conference uh, five. Now I'm sure he'll still get to start, but he's going to be in Dallas. That'll be a little interesting there. But, you know, honestly, Spencer Dinwiddie had been playing well for them. Dorian Finney-Smith was a very good friend of Luka Doncic's, and they were really close. So I'm sure he's not happy to see him go. But at the same time, I think Luka has to sign off on this deal for them to make this trade. If he doesn't, 
then that's just a very gutsy call by the front office there in Dallas and Mark Cuban pulling the trigger on this trade. But if Luca signed off and, and he was cool with it, I think there could be some good basketball that comes from it, but you just never know with Kyrie. This is a wild card type of player, somebody I wouldn't touch with a 10-foot pole. So best of luck to Dallas. But um, as a Mavericks fan, uh, you know, in the playoffs, I was really rooting for him last year. I just find this team less likable. Oh, definitely. I mean, and it goes from being Lucas' team to now, like, you know, you got to tread a little bit light lighter now because anytime Kyrie Irving is going to be on a team, you know, there's going to be a, a lot of criticism, whether it's good or bad, following him. I, I think for Spencer Dinwiddie, who had a bunch of success in Brooklyn with the Nets, I think that's pretty cool for him to go back. And he's having a pretty solid year, averaging almost 18 points per game. Dorian Finney-Smith, a guy who does a lot, a little bit of everything, I think is a good addition to Brooklyn. But I don't think they were going to be able to get this home run type of package knowing that, A, Curry wants a full-on max deal in free agency and that he's not going to re-sign anywhere unless he's going to get that. So it feels like for the Mavs, this is like step one into like, hey, you still got to be willing to present him a four-year max deal and hope he signs that compared to maybe signing with the Lakers. So you're seeing also – a future unprotected first round pick having a lot of value, which is, you know, uh, consistent with what we've seen the Lakers unprotected first round picks being valued at 2029 unprotected first round pick for the Mavs. Who knows if Luke is still on that, you know, on the Mavs in 2029. I don't know the Nets. They're <laughs> going to roll the dice on this, get some picks after they lost a lot of picks in the, the trades for James Harden and, and such. So I think it's interesting, um, but I'm happy that this this process has been worked out. Yeah, and I think, you know, there was some reporting that the Lakers had called and tried to get a deal done with the Nets to get Kyrie Irving, which makes a lot of sense. But you just think about it. Spencer Dinwiddie and Dorian Finney-Smith are, you know, two players that can play right now for the Nets. And, and the Lakers, what were they going to give up? You know what I mean? Russell Westbrook, that's not going to be a great fit with Kevin Durant. We've already seen that. And I don't think KD would sign off on that either. They'd probably be trading for Russell Westbrook in those two first round picks, 27, 29 and protected. I just, I just don't like the fit there, but it does, like you said on your tweet, it does kind of keep the trade deadline more active where you're not just letting this linger over the entire activity of what could happen. Because now that the deal's done, I would assume that Dallas is going to continue to try to make more moves to tinker with the roster. Uh, Christian Wood on an expiring contract. I know that they've, Talked about moving him. They've got Reggie Bullock on a on a decent contract. They still have Tim Hardaway Jr. They've got Dwight Powell. They got Maxi Kleba. They've got the bad contract of Davis Berton. So like whatever they can do to try to get this roster a little bit deeper wouldn't surprise me. And you have to wonder would they be big buyers and maybe trying to go all in with whatever they have left to get OG and Anobi and have some kind of big three of OG Kyrie Luka Doncic and whatever else they can fill in with that. I mean, I think that could be really enticing uh, for a a nice little run, but I don't think that's winning you a championship. No, it's not. And, and to your point, it, it's right, especially if there is that, you know, cloud of uncertainty, if Kyrie is going to sign long-term in Dallas, you might want to make another move and just kind of push your chips in for this year, at least. You don't need to sacrifice all of your picks long-term, but at least find another move to upgrade this roster uh, I know you're you're missing a few picks. You still owe the Knicks a first-round pick that's going their way this year from the Porzingis deal from a few years back. But I, I do think when you're mentioning Bertans, Tim Hardaway Jr., if there's another deal to make, 
Dallas should make that because this year, more than any year, it feels like the NBA is pretty wide open. So I think this is as good of a shot as Dallas has had over the last few years to make a run at least conference finals, NBA finals. You can't say that they can't make it there, but they're definitely not there yet. No, they're they're not. I'll be curious to see what else they do. But, you know, the Nets, they could do the same thing. They could continue to try to tinker with that roster as well. But I think, you know, getting DFS and getting Spencer Dinwiddie, that's that's pretty good. I mean, I'm not a big Dinwiddie guy, not a not a bad fill-in. I think he's done a pretty good job in Dallas this year. But he's from Brooklyn. They know them pretty well. And Dorian Finney-Smith was awesome in the playoffs last year. So pretty, pretty fair contract as well. I think Kevin Durant will like playing with somebody like that. That's really defensive-minded, but they're going to have to continue to tinker with that roster as well because Kyrie was putting up some big numbers offensively when when KD was playing as well. So maybe this is a good opportunity for them to just free Cam Thomas after his performance last night against the Wizards, Fotch. I think that's a great point because we've always known that Cam Thomas is a bucket, but it feels like when they're without KD and without Kyrie, we saw it against us where he killed us. He had like 20-plus points in the fourth quarter alone. I mean, huge other night. He's had big-time games, yet there's still times where they just don't unleash him, and, and they keep him on the bench, and sometimes he's not playing enough minutes. That man can absolutely play in this league, and I think the addition or you know bringing in Spencer Dinwiddie right over there is like, uh, you know, I don't want to say the poorest man's Kyrie, but it's like he's still good enough to, you know, get you 15-plus <laughs> points per game. No one's going to fill the shoes of Kyrie, but this is this move keeps Brooklyn competitive, and I think mm-hmm. that's really what they wanted. Absolutely. I mean, Kevin Durant was playing at an MVP level when he was healthy. So get him back, get him more pieces around him. I mean, Finally, Kevin Durant can be free of all the headaches between James Harden and Kyrie Irving on his roster. Hopefully, he's just bought in because now if he's not bought in, then this could really get interesting. But, Bachi, we talked about this trade. Let's go ahead and take a quick break, and we'll come back, and we'll touch on all things Pacers right now. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. 
All right, Pachu. So let's talk about this Pacers victory Friday night. I was in the building for the game, Fachi. So it was a fun game to be at. It was kind of a weird game, though, because it's like Pacers were up pretty much the whole game. And it felt like, you know, the Kings didn't really have a chance. And then the Kings just made it a game in the third quarter, early in the fourth, and, you know, ended up being a Pacers 107-104 victory. But uh, what did you think about this game? I thought this was a fun game. A, you obviously know there's that rivalry part of like it's it's like a, a rivalry that's starting up but there's that like revenge factor between Halliburton, Buddy Heald and Sabonis and you know you obviously you're wondering hey how are the Pacers fans going to treat Sabonis Alex you were in the arena I mean from everything that I've heard it didn't sound like you know it sound like he maybe got like the warmest over the top welcome but didn't really get booed I feel like it was kind of like I don't know middle of the pack type of vibe I mean what would you say on that yeah I think people were like you know like Thankful for what Sabonis did. Now, yeah. There was a couple of different fans that I heard on the balcony weird. that were screaming, you're a traitor. But oh, at the God. end of the day, it's like, I mean, guy got traded. So, yeah, I mean, yeah, <laughs> he did not have this this public trade request like a, like the guy that we covered in the first segment and Kyrie Irving. But yeah. uh, overall, this was a game that I felt like the Pacers played good enough against the Lakers that I felt like they would come out and, and, and take care of business against a Kings team without De'Aaron Fox. So and the Pacers only trailed by as, as many as two in this game, but just like you mentioned, Harrison Barnes uh, has a three point attempt to tie it up towards the end of the game. So the Kings end up storming back, but the Pacers did just enough to hold them off. And and this was a game that you know nine players in the rotation, all the starters played at least thirty three minutes. We saw more minutes out of Benedict Mathurin, which was great, twenty eight minutes instead of the the twenty from the previous, which had a lot of Pacer fans rubbed a bit wrong mm -hmm. but i mean alex there's a, a couple different storylines i guess in this game was there someone maybe in specific or or something that stood out to you yeah i will say it was a pretty quiet night for tyrese halliburton that's kind of where i wanted to start out with because it felt like you know he was being more of a floor general he had nine assists you know that's kind of the norm for tyrese but only 12 shot attempts that was the I believe it was the fourth most on the team so Miles, Neesmith, and Buddy all shot more uh, more attempts than him, and Nemhart had 10. So it was one of those games where he was playing a little bit more decoy and that kind of thing, and they were really focusing on him, trying to eliminate what he could do. But Buddy was shooting the ball well. Aaron was shooting the ball well. And even Miles shot the ball decently well. So it was a, it was a fun back-and-forth game. But I think probably the most fun moment in the game was when Tyrese had the switch and isolation play on DeMontis Sabonis. The whole entire arena like stood up and started making noise because they were just like, ooh, ah, you know, like they wanted to see Tyrese cook Sabonis just because oh, yeah. of all the storylines of the trade. Tyrese is our all-star. That's their all-star. And I'm thinking to myself, come on, y'all. Like, you really think Sabonis has a chance right now <laughs> on the perimeter going up against Tyrese? And Tyrese does his patent step back three that he does, and he and he drills it, and the place mm -hmm. goes nuts. And it was a cool moment. You know, I felt I felt a little bit bad for Sabonis because I'm like, what is this guy going to do here? Like, this is a slow-footed sitter trying to guard one of the fastest point guards in the league. That is so so smart. So, you know, but I, I thought it was a really fun uh, fun game between Miles and Domas. Very similar stats, and you know, it was just really cool to see them go back and forth against each other. Much better performance from Miles in this game than the one he had on the road. No doubt about it. The one thing that was so evident from the very beginning was Turner was crashing the glass 13 rebounds he finishes with 14 points 13 rebounds but just like in four blocks 
but the effort was just there nonstop of him battling for rebounds. So that's something that I want to tip my hat on. But And going back to your point on Halliburton, it's amazing that even what feels like a down game for Halliburton, four of 12 from the field, two of seven from three, it's just, it's so important to have him out there. He was a plus 18 mm. and it just felt like just being a floor general, like you talked about those nine assists to one turnover. I mean, it goes a long way, but also, you know, when you talked about that, he struggled in this game. I look back at it and now in his two games against the Kings this year, he has really struggled. Um, he is eight of 25 shooting and three of 13 from three, but mm. Also has 19 assists and five steals over those two games. So maybe he just struggled from the floor, but he's made others, he's made plays happen. Um, mm-hmm. but then one other person I want to touch on in the starting lineup. Aaron Neesmith is back. Oh, yeah. This man is back, and he had his struggles. He definitely did, especially without Halliburton. Talked about it. But there was a run in this game where Neesmith hit three straight threes and looked automatic. It, it looked like he was like almost in like a practice drill. It looked like <laughs> one of the elite three point shooters in this league. He ends up finishing with 17 points, six rebounds, three assists. He does it on four of seven from three. Now let's also just highlight. This was a guy that in a three game stretch was two of 22 from the field yeah. over his last four games. He's averaging 19 points per game on 56% shooting. <laughs> from three, over four rebounds, and over a steal per game. Great to see Neesmith seeing the ball go in, and it just feels like now he looks really confident out there. Yeah, it looks like the old Aaron Neesmith of December with Mm -hmm. Tyrese Halliburton back. I mean, it's just so funny. It's like I'm trying to figure out who Aaron Neesmith is as a player, but it's just like he's got special powers or magic powers whenever Tyrese is back on the floor. It's just like the ball – goes from Tyrese to him or from Buddy to him, and he just drills threes. It's just like he plays with a different level of confidence, and I'm sure a lot of it comes with he's just getting the more open looks that he's used to getting because of Tyrese's ability to push the ball forward and and play a faster style. So really love what I'm seeing from him. And, you know, the other guy that's really benefited too from Tyrese coming back is his Kings partner that got traded with him, Buddy Heel Fachi. Buddy Hill, obviously, there's no love lost for the Sacramento Kings from Buddy Hill. They have a very much hate relationship. There's no love there. So he wanted to win this game, especially, like you said, after the poor performance everybody had in Sacramento. But 21 points, 10 rebounds, two steals, six assists, Vachi. And where in the world did he come out of with uh, that dunk, Vachi? That dunk came out of nowhere. I'm in the balcony, and I see Buddy Hill sky above the rim. I said, who is that guy? What just happened? Buddy Hill... I mean, my goodness, the fact that he was able to get up like he did, wh- why don't we ever see that from Buddy ever? Like, wh- why was this the moment that he had to be able to pull that one out of the bag? So, love we seeing that never moment. never see that. I mean, never from I mean, Buddy. He looked like, he looked like a, a spry young Buddy Hill who was like 22 at this point. I mean, dare I say a thunderous throwdown from, from Buddy <laughs> Heald. I mean, that's what it was. Look, he ends up make, uh, pushing the lead to 104 to 99. So, like, this wasn't just, like, any random dunk. Like, mm-hmm. It was a dunk when the Pacers needed it. But also, Buddy said that he ranks that as you know, number one for him <laughs> as it relates to dunks. I mean, he even admitted it. He, he's not really one who's out there, you know, kind of slamming it down. But I think that it meant a little bit more that it's against the Kings and also, we know that him and Tyrese are 
very competitive about their dunks. And Halliburton had a really nice dunk earlier. And I, I remember even thinking, I think I tweeted something out and someone was like, uh-oh, Buddy's up next. And I was like, yeah, yeah, right. And then all of a sudden, Buddy did throw it down. And it was like, man, these two, they just want to continuously one-up each other in the best way possible. So I think that you could tell this one was just a little bit sweeter for Buddy Heald. And I'm all for it. Yeah, no, it was it was pretty awesome. Buddy Heald had some comments after the game, Fachi, that, you know, I shared a video of it, and I was kind of surprised that it blew up, but it got 556 likes and 64 retweets. 42 of those were quote tweets from Sacramento Kings fans getting oh, of course. super upset about this, but Buddy Heald just basically said, of course, there's not a lot of booze as last time, but we got to light the beam tonight. So oh, I did see that, and I loved it. <laughs> I have one Kings fan... And I, I had to send that to him because it's just like lighting the beam. Like they they live for it. And for Buddy to throw that shade, it was it was just perfect. Well, what's hilarious to me, it's like Buddy Hield's not the first NBA player to say light the beam nope. after they beat the Kings this year. Okay. Like it's a thing the Kings are doing. I think the Sixers, after they beat them, posted a video or a photo of the beam being lit blue in Philadelphia, just being funny. You know, it's a, it's a really cool thing Sacramento's doing, and I actually like the Kings. They're probably my second favorite team in the league to root for, besides the Pacers, just because similar storyline. You know, they've had a really tough time over the past 16 years. I want to see them have some success. I like Domas. I like a lot of guys on that team. But I was just cracking up at Kings fans because they hate Buddy so much, and they keep going like, oh, we're the three seed. Buddy wants to be here so bad. I'm like, I don't really think Buddy wants to be there that bad, y'all. I think Buddy is happily away from Sacramento, and I think y'all are very happy. happy. And I think they're very happy that Buddy's not there. So, like, Buddy had the little video that went out where he basically, you know, said the inappropriate thing about the Kings can, you know, do do what. You can find that video out there on social media. Uh, I'm not going to say it on here, but Buddy Heald had some not nice words for the Kings on a video that was like before the Boston Celtics game and a shoot around and it got put on Twitter somehow. I'm not sure. Oh, yeah, that I do remember released. that. Mm -hmm. And so Kings fans are like, he, we're, we're in his head. He can't stop thinking about us. I'm like, he just played y'all. Like, <laughs> like, I don't think Buddy Heald is really losing sleep at night because they're playing the Kings. But I honestly do love the rivalry between the two. And the only reason I want Buddy to make the playoffs with the Pacers now <laughs> is just so Kings fans can say, yeah, well, you can't make the playoffs. You're still a lottery-level team. It's like, you know, Buddy Hield has been a really good player for the Pacers. And Sacramento, you should just be happy that the deal worked out. You guys got your guy and Sabonis. You guys got Kevin Herter and some other moves to have helped catapult you up to the third seed in the Eastern, or the Western Conference. And, you know, the Pacers have done a pretty good job with the roster they've gotten together. So I just, I just laugh because fan bases are so funny. They just get so personal with everything. Oh, they they really do. And this was like the first time in 16 years that the Kings have tried to Kings fans have tried to flex their record on us, you know, because they've been in the gutter for so long that this is like their one time where they could be like, well, yeah, well, look at our record. It's like, OK, yeah. Hey, look, it's been a long time coming for you. Speak while you can. No way the Kings maintain that three seed. And even if they do, good for you. All right. Like you, you can't keep a franchise down for, for so long. It's been 16 years. That's long enough. But there's a lot of things the Pacers did well in this game. I mean, they shot 42% from three. They forced 20 turnovers. They had 11 more fast break points than the Kings. So there was some, some good stuff. But Alex, when I mentioned earlier that they only played a rotation of nine guys that was uh, off the bench. Benedict Matherin played 28 minutes. 
O'Shea Brissett, Daniel Tice, McConnell all played between 13 to 15 minutes. That meant that we did not see Chris Duarte, Isaiah Jackson, Jalen Smith. What were your reaction as it relates to that? Yeah, so we, we kind of have talked. Well, at least I put something out on Twitter. I said I never would have thought that when Jalen Smith was promised the starting position publicly when he re-signed with the Pacers that he would be in the same spot that he is rotation-wise that he was in Phoenix. And now Jalen Smith has become out of sight, out of mind. You know, he's a very quiet guy, not a very loud presence on social media. And I personally, while he wasn't great this year, I don't think he was as bad as everybody makes him out to be. Now, he was playing backup center. They were kind of splitting the minutes between him and Isaiah Jackson to get them reps. But it, Daniel Tice playing makes a ton of sense before the trade deadline. Now, if Daniel Tice continues to play the backup minutes for the rest of the season, then I think that's when we start having some questions about what are we doing here why are we losing sight of the big picture? Now, Rick Carlisle came out after the game and said that if he had to give a game ball to anybody, he would have given it to Daniel Tice, who was a plus 12. So this, to me, feels very similar to what Carlisle did last year, where he was like, Karis LeVert carried us tonight. We wouldn't be this great team without Karis LeVert, and then they traded him. So this feels like Rick doing everything he can to try to get some public love for Daniel Tice to get teams to call about him, because obviously Daniel Tice, at the end of the day, he wants to be in a situation where he can play and, you know, be competitive and be on a competing team. And so Indiana is probably not his first choice, but if they can find a place for him before the deadline, that does make a lot of sense. So they have obviously a Sunday's game against the Cavs, which will be, this will be out after that game. So he'll play in that one. And then they'll have one Wednesday against the Miami Heat on the road. So I, I think Daniel Tice, honestly, is the best, second best center on this team. There's no doubt about it in terms of like experience, what he can bring to the table. But, you know, I don't love the idea of not giving the minutes. And then the Chris Duarte thing was a bit shocking as well, Fachi, because they have been going 10 deep, only going nine deep in this game. I think maybe it was more so just trying to end the losing streak because, yes, they beat the Bulls the week before, but Carlisle said, we've been losing a lot. It felt good to finally get a win. So, you know, th this is a tough one. Not sure why, but playing the starters, the heavy minutes that they did, especially off the second night of a back-to-back, kind of have to wonder what the thought process was there. Yeah, I mean, a couple of things. Well, I guess we'll start with Daniel Tice. Like, against the Lakers, played seven minutes, really wasn't anything to write home about. Against the Kings, plays 15 minutes, scores eight points, four rebounds, does it on three or four shooting, hits a three, which I was like, okay, all right, Tice, I knew you, I knew you could hit some threes, but it was nice to see it. And you mentioned plus 12, sets some really good screens, good pick-and-roll defender. Uh, I, I do think the Pacers are trying to, you know, maybe at least see if they do play him, not to say feature him, but, you know, have him in the rotation. Maybe there is an option to, to get him moved at the deadline. But if that doesn't work at the deadline, I don't want Tice just playing these heavy minutes while Isaiah Jackson is 21 years old and Jalen Smith, who's like 23, are just, you know, rotting on the bench. But, you know, Jalen Smith now hasn't played in the last three games. He only played at least 20 minutes twice in the month of January. And let's look at his minute breakdown over the last few months. In October, averaged 25 minutes per game. November, 23 minutes per game. December, 16 minutes per game. January, 14 minutes per game. And he has not appeared yet in February. So the trend, not positive. But NBA University, which many of you now might be familiar with through Twitter, had a graphic today. And Alex, this was actually really troublesome. 
Uh-oh. They had Jalen Smith rated as the 225th best defender in the NBA. Or if that <laughs> sounds weird to you, only 15 players have graded worse. The Pacers uh, are minus 5.8 points with him on the court. And uh, it, it's it's not good. So here's the thing. We know Jalen Smith can block the occasional shot, but he's had his struggles uh, here and there. And his three-point percentage, just it, it's fallen off of a cliff. Yeah. Last year with the Pacers, 37%. This year, 28% is turnovers and fouls per game are up in less minutes. Yeah, It's hard to point at something that you like about Jalen Smith. It didn't feel like it's been as bad as it is, but to just not see him get any minutes out there, it it hurts to see. Well, it hurts to see because of what was promised to him at the beginning of the season. I just just don't understand, Fachi. To me, it feels like, and maybe you can disagree with me if I if you feel like I'm wrong here, but it feels like when the Pacers brought him back, this is all about rebuilding, retooling, whatever you want to call it. And now that they've had mediocre success, which I'm not trying to be disrespectful, but it is what it is. They're under 500, but they're in the play-in talk. So I, I feel like they're being a little short-sighted in the moment, in the present time, and, and losing focus on what the bigger deal is here cool, we got Miles locked up. It's great. You know, this is a team that could make the play-in. They could maybe make the playoffs if they want to play in games, but they're not winning a first-round playoff series. So to me, this is very short-sighted. And instead of giving Jalen Smith proper time to develop and giving him a solidified role, they're doing what they did to Chris Duarte last year a little bit, and that's in and out of the starting lineup, do this, do that, try to figure out where you belong, and then eventually, you know, Injuries got Duarte out of the rotation last year, but it's just like they they can't find the right spot for him. And so I think that Jalen Smith is more of a five than he is a four. I think he can mm-hmm. play the four, but I don't understand why they won't even give Isaiah Jackson a chance to play the four. I agree. So, they're so stuck on these all-guard lineups. I like Buddy Hill. I like Aaron Neesmith. I don't need to see them play 35 minutes plus a game every night. No. So if you're trying to win, cool. Then come out and say it. But if you're trying to develop, what you're doing is you're not really following through with what you told us you're going to do at the beginning of the year. And that's where I get a little bit frustrated because it's like Daniel Tice, better, best screener on the team probably. Very Maybe. solid guy. I mean, has a good three-point shot. You know, he's coming back from injury. This is all about trying to get his trade value up. But if he continues to play after this, in those minutes, what are you doing? I mean, the I just don't understand. And there's a lot of people frustrated with Carlisle and how he's utilizing Benedict Matherin as well. And I was at the game and Benedict Matherin had the ball. There was like maybe like six, seven seconds left on the shot clock. And Tice was like in the post and then Tice just kind of cleared out to the other post to let Matherin isolate. And as Matherin's about to isolate, all of a sudden Rick just looks mad and calls Nimhart up to the bench. And then he called for Halliburton to come in and the ne- the next play Matherin on that isolation missed the shot but TJ McConnell got a steal, pass it to Matherin. Matherin got fouled. Matherin's at the free throw line, so he had Nimhard go in for Buddy instead of Matherin. McConnell looked mad when he came out of the game, and then they went ahead and just kept Buddy at the scorer's table and told him to go back in for Matherin. So I don't know what's going on. I don't know if Rick is just, like, trying to be over the top with his, like, discipline and what he wants Matherin to do because he maybe feels Matherin's creating bad habits, stuff like that. But it definitely you could feel, like, a lot of like random tension, like irritation from Carlisle and what Matherin was doing 
And I didn't really feel like Matherin really did anything wrong in that situation. Maybe I missed something there, but uh, from my vantage point, it just looked like there was not not a lot open. Matherin went to isolate, and Carlisle didn't like that. So I, I'll I'll be curious to see how that goes moving forward. But it's like it feels like since Halliburton's come back, it's like Rick has really like tried to pull back what Matherin's doing. So I'm uh, I'm a little bit confused on that. Yeah, I mean, against the Lakers, like, I don't know what the discussions were like, but there was a couple times where Matherin's body language just felt off. Like, it felt like felt like that feeling where, like, if you had got yelled at by you know, your dad or your coach or whatever it is, and, and you're kind of just, like, a little bit frustrated, but this is as the game's going on, and that was the game where, I mentioned, you only played 20 minutes mm-hmm. and only had five shots, five points. Like, it just wasn't, like, your, your typical Matherin performance. But as it relates to Jalen Smith, it sounds rough to say, but I, I feel like this is like Jalen was like that girl that stood by you before you were anyone when things weren't going well. And then when the Pacers started to get a little bit of success, you know, we started not responding to his texts as much, kind of ghosting him a little bit. And next thing you know, it's like we're moving in a different direction and he's still standing by our side. But it's just it feels wrong because I just feel like Jalen Smith has to be he's good enough to be on the court. To just not play in the last three games, and, and he's still under contract for you know a bit. I know he's got like a a player option at some point, team option. It, it's just whatever it is. There's still a couple more years on that deal, and I just don't like the vibe of where we're at right now. So very curious to see where now it feels like Daniel Tice and Goga are like kind of those little bit of guys that are still there that you hope those guys are moved. We open up more playing time and Goga ain't even getting any playing time right now. So <laughs> it's just Tice taking those minutes. But Isaiah Jackson is that guy that I, I, in my opinion, I feel like, where do you even point the finger as to what he could have done wrong? Like it, it's, he's just, his minutes are all over the place yeah. against Memphis in the middle of January. He played 26 minutes one night, the very next game. He played one, yeah. one minute. And it's like sometimes he's out of lineup, sometimes he's back in. But it's not like, oh, he's only getting six minutes a game. It's like there's games he's just not playing at all, and then there's other games that he's playing 17 minutes. But for him, it's got to be frustrating to not have any sort of consistency as it relates to a role. Well, the reputation with Carlisle is he doesn't like playing young guys, okay? Now, Halliburton comes here in his second year, and it's like, oh, give him the keys of the kingdom. He's a special player. He's our franchise. Okay, so he gets special treatment. Andrew Nimhart is like a four-year guy that played in college. He can do no wrong. I think Pacer Faithful might have been Chuck and Jamie. I don't know which one's tonight. I'm assuming it was Jamie, but she was talking about that backcourt violation that got called on Andrew Nimhart and Tyrus Halliburton against the Kings, right? Yes. They're like, imagine if that had been Matherin, how much Rick would have ripped into him. And I'm like, I think so. You got a point. So, you know, everybody's different. Everybody's coached different. As a former coach myself, I understand that everybody has different personalities. I think I think Matherin even said on the J.J. Reddick podcast, the old man in the three, that, you know, there was a couple of times where he got pulled out and he wasn't happy with it. So, you know, he's like, but I understand, like, I'm trying to get better. And he's he's openly said that he wants to be coached hard. So maybe that is just all Carlisle is doing. And, and that could be the same way with Isaiah Jackson or Jalen Smith. Like, they're allowing – Rick is – more like he's able to be more of a of a hard butt with these guys when he's coaching them than other people. So I'm not like overly concerned about it, if that makes sense, but I'm just kind of monitoring it because we've seen Matherin how special he is, but like Rick's refusal to keep him in the starting lineup. 
the guy was averaging over 25 points or 23 points a game with Halliburton out of like the last four games before he came back. Obviously, this guy was starting to play really well. And it's like, Rick's like, okay, I see some success. Now I got to bring it back down. Now, if Rick is trying to stealth tank, then I mean, thank you, Rick. I get that. But it's just, he's not been a, you know, his reputation says he doesn't play a lot of young guys. So I'm just curious, maybe he likes leaning on veterans like Buddy Hill, like Daniel Tice, like Miles, like all these TJ McConnell, like seems like those guys never really get yelled at. Buddy Hill probably the most out of anybody, but still playing 30 plus minutes. It's not like he holds it against them. So I, I think that is where it's at. Rick just trusts older guys better, and maybe he's trying to implement something. Maybe he's trying to get something that, you know, down that they haven't been able to get down. Maybe he's trying to work on the defense and stuff like that. I, I don't know. But when you lose as many games as they did, I'm sure it doesn't put you in a good mood either. No, I mean, look, losing does affect you in, in many different ways. And as we're working our way through Duarte, I mean, like prior to the Lakers game, over his last – which in the Lakers game, he was over four, and I guess, you know, obviously that's not a good game, and he does not play against the Kings. But in the previous 11 games prior to that Lakers game, he was averaging 12.7 points per game on 44% shooting and 37% from three. That That's r- real solid compared to where Duarte had been at. He was in a massive slump, and I felt like he was getting himself out of that slump. And I even liked the idea that – that for a while, due to Halliburton being out, you know, Duarte being in the starting lineup, I thought gave him an opportunity to shine. I thought the flip side of that could be maybe they're getting his trade value up. But I just don't know who it helps at all if Duarte's not even seeing the court. Because I don't think it's like a, you know, well, we're just trying to make sure he stays healthy before Duarte's in a spot right now where his value is not too high. So I think being able to have him on the court producing if you are looking to trade him would be something that would help. But right now it just feels like I don't know what the plan is for him. And if the Pacers aren't moving buddy, which doesn't feel like they are, it it doesn't feel like there's going to be a big opportunity for Duarte for the rest of this season. I don't expect him to be completely out of rotation, but at this exact moment we're recording this, it doesn't feel good to be Chris Duarte right now. No, he feels like the 10th man on the roster. Yeah. And I would say that if they were trying to trade him, they would keep playing him. <laughs> I agree. Mm-hmm. So maybe they're trying to like turn that focus away from him in terms of trading him. But I, I don't know. It, it It's a really weird situation because they're playing O'Shea Brissett. Like the rotation on, on Friday's game was O'Shea, Benedict Mather, and TJ McConnell, Daniel Tice off the bench. That was it. And you're talking about Tice, not a long-term piece. O'Shea is a free agent coming up. McConnell is a veteran that could be moved, probably won't. I don't think he is, but, you know, there's some rumblings out there maybe if they want to give Nimhard those minutes. And then you got your rookie matter, and that's it. So I, I just – I'm trying to figure this out. It, it's it's a weird spot to be in. Rick does play some weird lineup combinations. We've heard about how he did that all the time in Dallas, and it was really hard to figure it out. And you know, we're talking about this before the Cavs game, and who knows? Duarte might be the first guy off the bench in the Cavs game. So, you know, don't want to get too ahead of ourselves, but it's just it's just hard to read what Rick's doing half the time. But I, I trust Rick as a coach. I think he's a smart guy. He's got this team playing better basketball than they probably should have been playing all year long. And you got to give the players credit, too, for that. But, I mean, Rick's been fantastic for this Pacers organization. I love what he's done. But sometimes he just does some head head-scratching things, and – Sometimes things can be a little bit frustrating when you're, as a fan watching this, it's just like, 
unleash Matherin. What what are we doing? Like I, I like when Benedict feels like he can be himself, and it feels like at least the last two games against Sacramento and LA, he was kind of reserved a little bit in how he played. Yeah, I mean, I know that Nemhard does a lot of things very well, but it's like the last few games we're seeing Nemhard, you know, play a solid amount more minutes than a guy that's in the running for rookie of the year. And and it's just Nemhard does does a lot of good stuff, but Matherin at times, it's we're talking about unleashing him. It just doesn't feel like he is being unleashed. And I, I know that he's coming off of a stretch where he did average like 23 and a half points per game over like a five game stretch, but that was without Tyrese Halliburton. So it was expected. Okay. He needs to have a bigger role. Well, with Halliburton back, we can't have Matherin's role just completely shrink. He needs to still be very much featured. And that's something that I'm looking forward to. I'm keeping my eyes on that to see like, okay, is he going to have a bigger role as the season goes on? Or is he going to kind of just remain, Hey, this is, this is how Carlisle views him. So I, I think that that's something that remains to be seen. But for instance, like the last two games, Nemhard played 33 minutes and 35 minutes against Sacramento. Um, Matherin played 20 and then 28. So it's it's a, it's a solid difference in some of those games. I think overall that they're talking about Nemhard getting about 20 more minutes over that two-game span than Matherin. So just something to keep an eye on. I, I know that we don't maybe envision Matherin cracking that starting lineup as long as Buddy Heald's still there, but I just don't want to see those 20-minute games moving forward because he's too special of a talent. Yeah, and I mean, the fact that Nimhart's playing more minutes and then after Nimhart just had one of the worst stretches of his career the last yes. like three weeks without Halliburton, it's like, well, what did he do to deserve it? I'm not trying to be mean to mm-hmm. Nimhart, but... It's like Matherin is out here literally earning these minutes and he's getting penalized because Tyrese is back. It's like, make it make sense. Play the two together. This is the future. Like, I'm not saying like jump ahead of schedule, but you've already done that. You've already jumped ahead of schedule. They have. Let's let's just get them out there together as much as possible. Maybe we'll see that more after the second. Uh, once once the All-Star weekend's over, maybe we'll see more of that. But it's like, I think Matherin's been a terrific person for this organization represents them very well. He's going to be at All-Star Weekend with Nimhard, but the guy was averaging 17 points a game. Like, what What are we doing? Like, I, I, this is where I just get a little confused. I have to, like, sit back, not try to be too reactionary to it, Poch, but at the end of the day, this is, a, this is a game that I don't want to play too long. I don't want to be doing this cat and mice game with, with Carlisle and, and Matherin and, you know, him trying to be too hard of a coach on him where it frustrates Matherin. It's like, no, let's give Matherin similar similar treatment to Halliburton, maybe with a little bit more of a you know a tame down version of that. But I, I just think you have to figure out a way to appease to Matherin where you coach him hard, but still allow him to be himself. So I don't want to talk too much about that anymore, though, because I feel like I've overkilled that that uh, that entire talking point. <laughs> nah, nah. I mean, it's it's definitely something that we're all watching, you know, hoping for the best. But just want to run through an updated stat. I mean, uh, by quarters, this Indiana Pacer team, as it relates to the first quarter, and we've known this has been the problem, they remain the worst force, first quarter team in the NBA at a minus 16 net rating. They're actually the league's best second quarter team at a plus 9.4 net rating. The fourth worst third quarter team at minus 6.6 net rating, and then the third best fourth quarter team at plus 5.4. So we're seeing we're the worst first quarter team, just about the worst third quarter team, but amongst the best 
second and fourth quarter team. So I think that's, um, you know, kind of a product of, of Rick making adjustments. But, I mean, this team could be drastically different if they weren't the league's worst first quarter team. I just don't know when that will really change. But if the Pacers are to make any sort of run uh, in, the, in the back end of this year, it's going to have to be getting off to a hotter start early on. And uh, that's something I'm keeping an eye on. But, Alex, we did also have uh, – I don't want to bury this lead, but while you mentioned that Nemhard and Matherin will be representing us in the Rising Stars game – uh, Gabe York and Trevlin Queen were actually selected in the G League Next Up game to represent us during All-Star Weekend. So I thought that was pretty fun. So the Pacers have awesome representation. Just wanted to go through a couple quick stats for them. Trevlin Queen in the G League averaging 23.5 points, 6 rebounds, 5 assists, 2.3 steals. And Gabe York averaging 23.2 points. 45% shooting and 38% from three, as well as four and a half rebounds, four assists, 2.4 steals. I was coming to this year. I thought we were going to see some Trevlin Queen. We really haven't, but <laughs> good to see that those two still dominating in the G League. Yeah, Gabe York's been on fire down there. So, you know, every time I look at their stats, it's like, Gabe York had this many points. I'm like, man, <laughs> always grief. Guy's a bucket. He really he, is. He is a bucket. And it's a bit of a bit of a disappointment that he hasn't been able to find a long-term spot in the NBA. I feel like, you know, he got on a two-way contract or no, 10-day contract last year with the Pacers. So a little bit disappointing that he wasn't able to like keep uh, or get a spot on an actual roster, but he's a good player and Trevor Queen, Yeah, it's been kind of pretty bad when he's played on the NBA for the Pacers. He's really mm-hmm. struggled. I think part of it is because I don't really think he's a natural point guard. I mean, yeah, I don't think so either. They kind of try to play him with that. I think he's more of an off-ball guy, more beneficial there. And honestly, like, haven't really loved everything I've seen from him. I know he was like lights out in the finals, the G League finals. I think it was finals yeah. MVP, if I'm not mistaken. He was. And he was the league MVP at one point. So, you know, really, really talented player in the G League. But, you know, there, there is a big jump. I mean, we've seen guys on the Pacers that can't crack the rotation go down and down with the G League, come back, and, you know, they look terrible. Like, just the NBA talent is so tough. But awesome to see that as well. And then, you know, we mentioned it briefly on the last episode we did with Kevin Bowen, but it was more towards the end. And we had done a whole segment on it, but decided to scrap it after the Lakers game. But that's Buddy Heal going to be representing the pace at the three-point contest. Fachi, hot take here, but I think Buddy Heal wins it. I think he's got just as good of a shot to win it as anyone out there. My prediction is Buddy's at least in the final two. And I really want him to just hoist that trophy and get the respect that he deserves because uh, I had a friend send me that and like, Oh buddy in the three point contest. I said, most underrated shooter in the league. And then they were like, no. And I was like, I'm telling you like, yes, he is. And then my friend started listing some names like, you know, cause I, I started basically saying this is a guy when he retires, I, I think is going to be, you know, potentially top three all time and threes made. And that sounds crazy now, but it's really not going to be that crazy when all is said and done, because You and I grew up in a time where Reggie Miller and Ray Allen were like the three-point kings. And I think that we saw Steph Curry pass them both. I think more people will pass them when all said and done. And Buddy Heald, I think before we know it, is going to be up there. But I think just to be able to win this in a year where he leads the NBA in threes would kind of cement him as like, hey, like you got to put respect on his name. Mm -hmm. Oh, yeah. There's no doubt about that. I mean – I don't really know who's going to be his biggest competition because now Steph Curry won't be competing in it if he was going to because he's mm-hmm. injured and there's a chance he might miss the All-Star game. 
So I don't think he'd be doing this. Now, I believe Malik Beasley on the This League podcast with Chris Haynes and uh, Mark Stein said that he would like to be in it. Now, if he's still on the Jazz at that point, I can see a Utah Jazz player being represented in that contest because it is in Salt Lake City. So keep an eye on that. But other than that, I think Dame Lillard seems like a name that could be in the mix for that that uh, that three-point contest. Maybe C.J. McCollum. Just trying to think of other guys that are like lights-out shooters. I'm sure I'm missing some. But I mean, Buddy Hill, he's just a bucket, man. I, I just want to see him win it. I think it'd be fun. And I don't know if Buddy's won it before or not. I feel like he has. But I know he's been pretty productive in it. Yeah, I, I know. I, I definitely have to, would have to look it up to see if he's won it. I know he's competed in it. I think him and uh, Halliburton were in the skills challenge together a couple years ago, I want to say. But it, it's I'd have to see who that final roster is that he's up against. But he's got just as good of a shot to win it as anyone. So He won I'll it in keep... 2020 in Chicago. Hey, d- deservingly so. So that, that, is, that is awesome. I, I think he's got a chance to add to that and win it again. Um, and I'll be rooting for him. But also, just going back to when you were talking about some guys gone down the G League and dominated, I looked at the Mad Ants roster because I wanted the updated stats for Trevor Queen and Gabe York. Terry Taylor went down there, and uh, in four games, he averaged 33.8 points per game on 70% shooting, 11.3 rebounds, and 64% from three. So that is the definition of a guy who's too good for the G League, but unfortunately is another guy that we're not seeing getting minutes uh, on either a consistent basis or just period for the Pacers. So something that they got to figure out. But I just had to throw that TT stat out there because, man, those G League stats, those are some uh, colossal numbers. If Jalen and Isaiah Jackson are getting minutes, Terry Taylor are getting minutes, I'm sorry. I know, I know. Pecking order, man, pecking order. But – uh, yeah, Fachi. So let's go ahead and take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to close this thing out with a quick recap of the Pacers Cavs game. So we'll be right back after this. Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to do's, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. All right, Fachi here recapping the Pacers and Cleveland Cavaliers game. It was not a pretty one. It was most definitely a forgettable one. Cleveland wins 122-103. to This is a game the Pacers trailed by as many as 26 points. Outside of winning the third quarter by two points, Cleveland outscored the Pacers in three of the four quarters, and the Cavs' starting lineup combines for 98 points compared to the Pacers' starting five that combined for 70 points. Cleveland looked like a good team tonight. They really did. Their bigs, Jared Allen and Evan Mobley, I'd say were a a big factor in this game. Jared Allen, 18 and 13 rebounds. 
Evan Mobley, 17 and 10. They were both extremely efficient from the field. But the Pacers did actual solid job on Donovan Mitchell. Donovan Mitchell missed his first six shots of the game, would end up hitting his final six of 12. Uh, he has 19 points, finishes on six of 18 shooting. It's a guy who averages over 27 points per game on the year. So it's a it's a good job by the Pacers. But unfortunately, Isaac Okoro, this was this was kind of strange. Isaac Okoro looked like he played the game of his life. Started seven of seven from the field, ends up finishing with 20 points. That was a guy once rumored to the Pacers uh, in the Karis LeVert trade of what could be coming back. But obviously, we know that never ended up happening. As for the Pacers... Tyrese Halliburton, 15 points, 11 assists. You know, it wasn't a typical Halliburton game, but, I mean, you can't argue with 15 and 11, his 24th double-double of the year to lead the Pacers. Miles Turner, I thought, was the stud in the game. In just 24 minutes, he goes for 27 points, 10 rebounds, three blocks on 9 of 18 shooting. Uh, it was in some foul trouble at times, but this this was a blowout. This was one where Turner didn't need to play much more than that. And, um, man. Aaron Neesmith, this was tough. Neesmith, who had been on a hot streak lately the last four games, averaging 19 points per game, over 50% from the field, over 50% from three. Ends up going three of 10 tonight, 0 of 5 from three, finishes with just six points. Uh, yeah, that obviously hurts to see because I feel like he's been the X factor this year. If Neesmith's putting up 15 or you know 10 to 15 points, th this Pacers team, they're, they're dangerous. Uh, Buddy Heald, 16 points, five rebounds, you know, Nothing crazy right over there. But then uh, for, for the bench, Benedict Matherin, nine points, six boards. It wasn't a typical Matherin game. Plays 27 minutes, but just four of 11 from the field. Other than that, man, it, what was unfortunate to see is Jalen Smith doesn't make his first appearance to the game until the uh, six, final six minutes of the fourth quarter. Same with Terry Taylor. Isaiah Jackson got a couple minutes towards the end. I thought those were three guys that could have played earlier. Pacers really kept some starters out late into the, the fourth quarter, thinking maybe they could cut it to under 10, but I don't remember them getting any closer than 14 points. So we saw some some decent play from Daniel Tice early on, plays 15 minutes, finishes with seven points, uh, two rebounds, two blocks on three of six shooting, solid Tice game. Uh, ends up being minus four, but I mean, think about it. The Pacers lost this game by uh, 19 points, so really not that bad. Um, other than that, I think that really covers it. There was a couple of accolades. Uh, Miles Turner with his three blocks moved to third all time on the Pacers block list. He's now 16 blocks shy uh, of Rick Smith's at number two. Uh, that'll be 1,111 blocks. That's what Rick Smith's, Rick Smith's has. And then Jermaine O'Neal, my favorite player of all time, number one at 1,245 blocks. That feels like something that Turner will accomplish next season. And then for Buddy Heald, actually, Buddy Heald made four threes tonight. He now trails Paul George by two threes, moving into second all-time uh, in most threes made in a season as a pacer. Reggie Miller with 229 threes is the Pacers' record. So Buddy Heald honestly set to surpass that in the month of February, I would say. That'll be all for the Cleveland Cavaliers recap, guys. I, I think let's all agree this is one we could easily forget about and move on with our lives tonight. It was just not the Pacers night. You can find us on Twitter at SettingThePace3. You can find Alex on Twitter at AlexGoldenNBA. I can be found on Twitter at underscore F-A-C-C-I. You can find us on Instagram at PacersTalk. 
You can find us on Facebook, Setting the Pace. Find us on TikTok at Setting the Pace. And Alex, tell them where they can check us out on YouTube. Ladies and gentlemen, go to YouTube.com slash Setting the Pace, a Pacers podcast, where you can check out all of our latest videos. If you're listening to this, for sure, the Jake Fisher interview is up and the Trade Ideas podcast that we did, that video should be up probably at this time now because I am uploading it on when, uh, Thursday night. So excited for, for that to drop on YouTube. But make sure you subscribe. Let us know what you think. Tell a friend we're getting really close to 1,000 subscribers. So if you haven't already subscribed, hit that subscribe button. But Fachi, if you're believing that Buddy Hill is going to put on a huge, amazing showing for the Indiana Pacers in the three-point contest, then hit me with those three words. Let's go Pacers! Setting the pace, going to the top. Setting the pace, going to the top. This is your number one podcast. Sweeping every team. We gonna need a mop. Smooth. Mm-hmm.